All right, welcome to episode 39 of Seize the Moment podcast. And today we welcome Martha Lawton. And she's the host of the Squanderlust Pod, which is a podcast about the emotional side of money, why our actions aren't always as good as our intentions, and what we can do about it. Hey, Hi, Martha. Thank you. <laughs> hey, Martha, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It's, it's great to be here. So, and then what are the connections between our emotional sides and our financial decisions? Oh, everything, huh? everything. Um, because money is how we get so many things in our lives. Money is how we can get power. Mm -hmm. Money is what brings us security. Money is what brings us choice a lot of the time. Um, it brings us all of our basic needs, but then it also connects us to other people. It's very hard to socialize without money. Um, it's very hard to, a lot of our kind of tribal status, mm. as it were, or taking the term tribe in a really loose way is, is based on, um, outward displays that, that we often use money to, to give us. Um, because of all of that money and our financial decision-making is hooked into our emotions about all of those things. Mm -hmm. So how you feel about security and power and status and um, companionship and freedom and independence, all of those feelings will be tied into your feelings around money. Mm -hmm. And then that will affect how you actually behave. Yeah. And do you feel like it's kind of a myth that we think that like, um, like, let's say for the most part, we think that we're purely rational actors that you pretty much to put right, you put two decisions yep. in front of a person, and then that person kind of weighs out the benefits and the costs of each. And then they obviously make the most reasonable yeah. choice. Oh, wouldn't that be? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no, we are absolutely not that. Uh -huh. So um, there are a lot of cognitive biases mm -hmm. that they're called um, just innate flaws in our thinking, mm -hmm. in our reasoning, um, that are really common and almost everybody has them to a greater or lesser extent. Mm -hmm. um, and they play out in our decision making around money. Uh, so, um, oh gosh, optimism. Mm -hmm. We are unrealistically optimistic, mm -hmm. mostly, which uh, plays out in our unwillingness to um, buy insurances, for example, that we might need. Mm -hmm our unwillingness to uh, save for the future because we think, oh, I'll just, I'll fudge it. It'll be fine when I get there. Or um, we think, oh, I, I'll be able to save more next month, but I need the money this month. So I can relate with that one for sure. Yeah. Which one? Yeah. Oh, the saving? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> okay. especially uh, years back. Uh, anytime I'd get money, I'd just spend it right away. And then I would just think like, especially this is in my early 20s, I'm mm -hmm. thinking, no problem. I got the money now. I'm going to most likely get it again next month. I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. But then you never know what's going to happen. You, you don't know. Uh, yeah, you, you can't predict what's going to happen. You, you may need to save. You may need to have long-term thinking when it comes to money as opposed to short-term impulsive mm -hmm. thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we are very um, at the mercy of thinking that benefited us when we were living in a kind of pre-industrialized, pre-even agricultural society um, where the thing to hoard was food. Mm -hmm. That was the, the main thing we would need to hoard. And you can't really hoard food unless you've got a good way to store it, which we didn't have back then mm -hmm. or very limited good ways to store it. So hoarding didn't make a lot of sense. 
Whereas eating it now before it went off, mm -hmm. that made a lot of sense. Um, and so our behaviors around money, we behave as if money were food some mm -hmm. of the time, right? And so we don't want to hoard it because it might go off somehow. But of course it doesn't because that's the whole point of money is mm -hmm. that it doesn't. I know. So, yeah, go on, go on. No, I was going to ask, so I wonder in terms of eating or food, was it, do you think that in kind of more primitive times that it was also kind of conversely the opposite of times where the other person was, or the person was essentially doing the opposite. Instead of hoarding the food, they were trying to eat as much as possible to store away as much body fat as possible. Yeah, sometimes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. And and I think, I mean, that's like one just, just one way of thinking about it. There's, there's lots of other sort of aspects that flow into this. Um, but just fundamentally, we're not set up to think in the long term, even when we to act as if we think in the long term. Like we can often think that way rationally when we want to, when we sit down and do it. But it takes a lot of effort to overcome the the kind of impulsive part of our brain that just goes, I'm rich right now. Yeah. <laughs> Buy all the stuff. <laughs> or let's have a party. Or, uh -huh. you know, that that sort of impulse is so i think it's um yeah it's it's really challenging to to fight that more animalistic more base part of our of our minds yeah and i mean what's so cool about that kind of perspective which obviously on top of it being the truth and realistic is that i mean we often i think we judge one another for not only just our poor financial decisions but just our impulsive decisions altogether and it seems like from what you're saying is that these like um the cognitive biases is that they're pretty general that even if people experience them more often than not pretty much all of us experience them to whatever degree yeah absolutely and i mean we can we can to some extent overcome them you can overcome mm -hmm. them with with planning and with work and with forethought and with insight into the fact that they exist, mm -hmm. but you should not be ashamed of having them. Like they developed in us for a reason. They were, you know, a part of our evolution that was necessary and appropriate at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and because we do all have them, yeah, it's, it's completely unreasonable to be ashamed of them. Um, and the shame in itself is often compounds the the negativity so because people are ashamed they don't seek help and advice when they need advice mm -hmm. um because they are ashamed people will engage in kind of self-destructive or self-punishing behaviors and with money that can actually be more overspending mm -hmm. um and so people can get into a, a real cycle um or it can be more underspending so you can get a um, almost to go back to a, like a food metaphor, but like a binge purge mentality with money mm -hmm. where somebody will splash for a while and then be like, oh my goodness, I'm this terrible person. I've spent all this money that I didn't have and now I'm in debt and I deserve to be punished in some way. Mm. I deserve to not have nice things for forever. So I'm going to write this super strict budget. I'm going to live on nothing but beans mm -hmm. for, <laughs> wow, <yeah. laughs> you know, for the next two, three months. Mm -hmm. yeah. So good. <laughs> And then that doesn't work either because you can't go without, you know, having fun and seeing your friends for too long. You can't go unsupported. Beings, while sort of fairly nutritious, are not a great <laughs> right. if on for extended periods of time if you have the option. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, and then when you get out of that overly strict period of kind of self-punishment, the part of you rebels. Mm -hmm. 
and we'll go back to the other behavior and, and, you know, throw it all out the window and, and splurge because live for the day. Tomorrow we may die. Wow. That's right. right. Carpe diem, right? Mm-hmm. Seize the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? What's funny about that is yeah. uh, I could really relate to that as well because uh, I, I didn't do it with beans, but I did it with like these very cheap salads from this store called Aldi's. Okay. And, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's all I would eat for a while. And actually I did end up restabilizing my finances, but then it is curious actually. Yeah. A little bit while after that, I did start to then go back into my old habits Mm -hmm. and it was strange to me because I said, no, 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 I finally got everything good. No credit card debt, none of this, you know, but then all of a sudden something in me was saying, well, I mean, you've got everything stable now. I'm sure you could afford, you know, spend a little bit on your credit card. It's okay. Treat yourself, right? (laughs) (laughs) Then it kind of compounds, uh, builds up, and then all of a sudden it's, well, it's not back to what it was before, but you could create a new problem again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And I think if you, some of that is about whether or not you've really um, had the moment where you really realize that something has to change or whether you're just shuttling because if you have actually had that proper they call it a light bulb moment right mm-hmm. where you just say this is unsustainable um and i'm going to be frugal and i'm going to change things and that is you really know in your gut that that change needs to happen i think if you've got that moment then you can push yourself through a level of of frugal living mm-hmm. um that makes a real difference and you will get out the other side and maybe you will begin to like spend a little bit more, but it won't be so damaging. Um, but if you are in, if you haven't really had that moment of feeling the need for change, mm-hmm. you know that being super frugal is the right thing to do, but you do it not to make a difference to your circumstances because you deserve to be free from debt. Mm. you do it from because you feel bad about having got into debt and to punish yourself for having got into debt and then you don't learn well how do i do this in a balanced way in future right and it's like the difference yeah and i think and 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 think if i could come please obviously correct me if i'm wrong but the way i'm kind of conceptualizing what you're saying is that um the decisions obviously are more impulsive but it comes from the sense of it comes from like a gut feeling right so the idea is that initially it feels like this is the right thing to do so therefore i'm doing it so it feels like it's the right thing to do to kind of spend money right to live my life sort of seize the moment and then conversely right because i feel badly about myself sort of emotional reasoning therefore it must be that i'm doing the wrong thing therefore the right thing must be the opposite so the idea is rather than this kind of foundation of values to say like okay well this is why i'm supposed to let's say have a kind of balanced life right have a kind of core set or a kind of a maybe not necessarily but i guess you have values too because kind of i think self-discipline can be a part of it so you have this core set of values that you try to live up to where it's like it's more stable in the sense of i have a kind of long-term blueprint for myself where the person is not acting just pretty much based on circumstances and pretty much the responses or the emotional responses of the circumstances is that right Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Like if you're able to um, detach from that pattern, mm-hmm. sh- like shuttling backwards and forwards, mm-hmm. you're able to make a rational decision and then you can make a plan and you can do something about it. But a lot of the time people go through a few cycles of 
just reacting mm-hmm. backwards and forwards and not um, being kind of conscious and mindful about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, you will inevitably cycle if you're just um, shuttling in that way. We talk about it as uh, like the cognitive um, behavioral therapy term, which mm-hmm. is nothing thinking. Mm-hmm. You can really apply that that all or nothing thinking. Like I'm either being good with money, which mm-hmm. means being super frugal, or I'm being bad with money and I'm just splurging everything. Yeah. And if you if you only think in those two extremes, you never find the path through the middle, which is a balanced budget that you can both have a life on um, and live on, and occasionally seize the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, have some cash to do that with but also where you're not overspending to the point where you're actually causing yourself harm. Yeah. And I find that where like a lot of us struggle is like, even when we do have a kind of, um, I guess an understanding or an examination of our values, sometimes we even kind of have extreme values in that case, in sort of that sense too, in the sort of rational okay. sense, okay. where we'll think about it as, um, it's okay, I want to be self-disciplined, right? But then the question is, can you be self-disciplined and also spontaneous? And sometimes the idea is those two thoughts are kind of hard for some people, for I think all of us at times, for us to hold them together, because they seem yep. so contradictory, where it's like, no, I have to choose one or the other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Well, you could bring them together. And here's the thing. If you could actually integrate both of those sorts of ways of thinking, Mm -hmm. I mean, ideally, you would then be able to have that balance Mm -hmm. that Martha's talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's fascinating is, yeah, you can sort of oscillate between frugality and I wouldn't call it overzealous spending, but like, you know, just having a life, let's call it, right? Mm -hmm. And if you can find a way to... Yeah, and if you could find a way to uh, oscillate between the two mm-hmm. um, and maintain that healthy balance, I suppose that's where the nuance lies. Right. And you don't necessarily have to abide by that all or nothing thinking. I need to be frugal or I need to mm-hmm. or spend all yeah. my money. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So I used to teach um, a class with um, people who had had drug and alcohol problems. Mm-hmm. So I used to teach them about like how do you – you're about to kind of rebuild your life um, – one of the things you're going to have to be doing is managing your money better. Um, and so like, how are you going to do that? And it wasn't really about me sort of teaching them how to do it, but more about drawing out the skills of the people who were there, who'd already been good at managing their money and kind of getting them to teach the re- across the group. Uh-huh. So where I would step in was only ever at the point where we were talking about something when nobody had given like the best answer mm-hmm. yet. And then, I, or if, if, you know, we needed to prompt something, but um, quite often during the course of these conversations, you know, I'd be talking about planning and like having a plan for how you spend and so that you wouldn't overspend compared to the money you had coming in and what that would mean and like facilitating that discussion. And somebody would come up and say, but I'm just really spontaneous. I just like to live life in the moment how do I, you know, if I have too many plans, I just, it doesn't really work. And I would say, well, you can literally have a pot of money within the rest of your budget that's spontaneous money that doesn't for specifically anything. Um, you can plan to be spontaneous. <laughs> Sounds completely contradictory, but as long as you say, like, you know, this little pot is my doing whatever I want with money and it doesn't have an assigned value. Mm-hmm there for your spontaneity and that's fantastic like you can do that which I think a lot of them would find very funny but then you could see 
oh yeah maybe maybe that could be useful maybe i could do that it does make sense um actually we're we went to a buffet last night and there was this um term that leon uh used uh, i believe it's called the ulysses contract oh yeah we did talk about that. yeah so <laughs> that's interesting because in the way that you might set money aside and then have a certain amount that you can spend spontaneously mm-hmm. i mean actually we kind of We'll go back to money, obviously, but we related it to food. For example, if, uh, let's say, you you know that you have an impulsivity, a lack of willpower at night to eat certain foods, mm-hmm. maybe you won't have those foods in your home. Yep. So if applied to money, I suppose if you definitely set aside money before your willpower kind of goes away <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to be able to kind of put it, set it aside, but then know that this other money that you have is your spontaneous money, you now know like what is kind of um what is driving you and then you can use that to your advantage this system that you're proposing yeah 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 Yeah. and some people do that by just having different accounts Mm -hmm. so have all of their bills coming out of one account and maybe grocery money comes out of that account everything that's just a strict necessity and then they'll transfer money into a completely different account and that's fun spending money yeah and that way you you cut off um the ability to overspend on the fun things to mm-hmm. the point where you're in detriment of all the necessities yeah <laughs> yeah go on yeah, so I wanted to ask you, I kind of wanted to get your take on it since Alan brought up the Ulysses contract. So first I want to kind of just tell our audience what that is. So um, we kind of have a misconception as a people that there's such a thing as pure willpower, obviously, um, because of Amer- especially in America and you guys too, because you guys kind of come from the same philosophical system of, uh, you know, kind of sheer determinism, right? Sort of, or sheer determination, kind of pure free will, right? That's sort of what our kind of, yeah. So American and British philosophy is pretty much founded on those principles. So the idea is with the Ulysses contract is that neuroscience actually shows that most of the time, right, um, we actually can't really force ourselves to do the things that we want to do and think that we should. So kind of like the story of the Odyssey, where Ulysses, as instead of, um, so as he was sort of sailing back, he knew that if he heard the call of the sirens, which were like these beautiful goddesses, that he would essentially be lured into their kind of, tempted and lured into their uh, trap, you know, kind of quote unquote. So the idea was that he ended up tying himself, or his mates, shipmates, ended up tying him to the mast of the ship, so that obviously he wouldn't be tempted to go and obviously follow them so in neuroscience the term ulysses contract essentially means that kind of all of us create these um these sort of like indirect ways of dealing with temptation so rather than actually just sitting with it and saying to ourselves no i i'm not gonna do this i'm not gonna do this we create these kind of ingenious strategies in order to overcome them so like an example that alan and i were talking about last night was with the marshmallow test so like um so so people don't know I think it's not really presented or hasn't been to the public that the kind of nuances of the marshmallow test, right, we're not so much that, and uh, so another thing to explain. So the marshmallow test is where the kids were given one marshmallow and told that if you can kind of forego eating it, then you would be given two marshmallows as a pretty much as a prize. Um, and so a lot of the times we think like, wow, no, no, these kids were super successful and they were very strong-willed, right? They were able to sort of tell themselves that, no, I am not going to have any, I'm not going to have this marshmallow because the prize at the end is much better than this. So it's actually way more nuanced than that. So 
these kids, not all of them obviously, but some of them created strategies in order to avoid the temptation. So one kid would like flick it off of a table. Another kid would actually hide. He would go underneath the table so he wouldn't have to look at the marshmallow. And so the idea was that for them, they understood that it was going to be way too tempting to resist this one marshmallow. So therefore they had to find a way around it. Kind of like the Ulysses contract. It's like, if I can't resist the call of the sirens, therefore I have to sort of find an indirect way to do so. And so again, kind of going back to the Ulysses contract, the idea is that we create these strategies all the time. And so um, where I kind of struggle sometimes with people, especially like when it comes to, let's say, obsessive compulsive disorder. So the idea is people want to kind of think of themselves as being strong willed. So it's like for them, the goal in a lot of times, and I would say even most of the time in therapy is just to completely overcome their symptoms. So for them, it's like, it's not so much of like finding indirect ways of dealing with the triggers, but it's like, no, I must overcome the symptoms because if not, I'm somehow less than. But the idea is our sort of physiology and our biology is such that sometimes, and for some people, right, the sort of urge to, and we all engage in compulsive behaviors, but for some people, the urge to engage in some of these compulsive behaviors are just so tempting and so intense that it literally is like the same thing as Odysseus kind of sailing through the sirens, the call of the sirens. And so my kind of, uh, my point is essentially when it comes to the Ulysses contract is that it's okay, obviously, for if you can't sort of, um, if you can't pretty much just, just resist temptation and that so for us it's also okay to create these kind of indirect methods of doing so and so martha what is your take on the ulysses contract oh like i'm incredibly in favor mm -hmm. <laughs> basically the more that you can remove uh the need for willpower in your life mm -hmm. the more that you can have structures and systems set up for you and habits set up for you so that um willpower just doesn't become an issue mm -hmm. I think that the happier and more smoothly your life will run a lot of the time. You know, we have we have so many things that we use as as commitment mechanisms of one kind or another. Um, I was thrilled when my local gym started putting in place a um, a penalty for canceling classes or not showing up. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, like, so they, it's a really mild penalty. The penalty is just you can't book more classes. Mm -hmm. You have three strikes and you're out, and then you can't book more classes. Yep. For me, that's an amazing commitment mechanism mm -hmm. because I just book classes at the beginning of the week, and then if I don't cancel in time and I don't show up, mm -hmm. I, I, get, I get three strikes, I can't book more classes, and I go to the gym way more regularly since they've started putting that in place mm -hmm. than I have to before. Yep. And I think the more that you can put any kind of system in place that acts in that way, um, the more that you will do the things that you want to do mm -hmm. without, <clears throat> excuse me, without wasting energy, honestly, on powering through willpower and then often not powering through yeah. and dealing with the, uh, the frustration and the regrets and maybe the shame that comes from not having succeeded at the thing that you wanted to succeed at. Mm -hmm. So I am I'm very in favor. Yeah. There's something actually uh, akin to what you're talking about. There's, um, I forget the website, but it's something where you would input what is your weight loss goal and yeah. you put down a certain sum of money. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and supposedly, uh, I forget, I believe you could set the amount of time, but let's say, for example, it's 30 days and you have that amount of time to reach your goal. If you don't, that money that you set down is lost to you. Uh, yeah, but if you I, do, it comes back to you. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. I, I believe they even had it that you could set it up to go to a cause you didn't like. 
Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can, you can actively set it up to, and I don't think it's just weight loss. I think it's all sorts of different habits, but it's, um, yeah, you, you set up the habit, the time frame, and then at the end, the money either comes back to you or it goes to a cause and you nominate a cause that you really, really dislike. Wow. And, and money is a good enough anchor it always actually is. to yep. motivate you to follow through on your goal. Yeah. Which is... And so like, um, sometimes the things that, so like I'm a psychotherapist and so yep. sometimes like we don't like in our field, we don't really talk about the finances because it seems like for, yep. for a lot of therapists it's super shameful. Um, especially yep. because the fact is that, and this is like the biggest secret, right? For people who aren't in therapy that we actually have p cancellation fees, like late cancellation yep. fees. Yep. And yep. so, yeah. And so for a lot of people to like, oh my God, you're charging people like fines when they're not coming in. And I would say, absolutely. So obviously yep. depending on the situation, if it's an emergency or there ill we don't do that but the idea is if it's something that's like preventable if they can actually come to session and they don't they have to pay a cancellation fee and so um i have like one client who's he's he's he's, he's a teenager um so he actually told me so i actually was like kind of debating whether to hold on to the fee for him because um so he has like a job but the whole thing is like he doesn't obviously make a lot of money so i said like what do you think like what would happen if i ever got rid of the cancellation fee for you and he's like oh try and do that i just won't show up at all <laughs> i was like okay i guess i'm keeping the cancellation fee. he's like yeah you should do that so so, and that's kind of the honest yeah. answer that for a lot of people, even though obviously they know that therapy is important and they, they believe that it's something that they should do for them if they don't have that extra kicker of literally like losing money for it, a lot of times they're just going to find good reasons not to go. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And then, and, and, yeah. Um, money is interesting for this because there's a, there's a numerical value to it as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, which again is something that I think is where the emotional aspect of money comes in sometimes mm -hmm. is because uh we we struggle sometimes with putting a numerical value on things because it, it it's like giving it a score and with some things on our lives we don't really want to give them a score mm -hmm. um and that i think is something that again where money gets very emotional you think about this when it comes to things like salaries if you over identify with your job you over identify with what you do and and other people judge you based on what how much money you make mm -hmm. it's very easy for other issues you have around self-esteem yeah. self-worth or people's perceptions of you or whatever else um asking for what you need any of those kind of things to then play out in salary or other kinds of negotiations where money is involved because there's a number and you're literally trying to put that number to um, the value of your time, for example, and that's something that people really find so challenging, um, and and it is because uh, we're taking a whole load of quite nebulous feelings around our work and ourselves, and trying to distill it down to this this one thing, this one number. Yeah, and the number itself then turns into money and money has all these other meanings again so we, we're this kind of weird pinch point and I think it's like really cultural for us because I mean our culture tends to define us in those terms so and I mean I'm not gonna mention her name but and I hope she doesn't mind my saying this so our friend so she was actually um, and I mean I don't think anybody will figure this one out hopefully so um, our friend was actually dating someone and so the person said to her so this person is kind of like a, I guess a big wig in some sense like he makes a pretty decent salary so he so she he actually did not know her salary and he made this kind of offhanded comment where he said like my clients are idiots because they make less than 
than sixty thousand a year. And she was like, <laughs> and she was like, what? And so he didn't know her salary. So obviously, he kind of put his foot in his mouth. And so I think the, now the the goal is that she's moving on. From my understanding of it, I don't think she's going to see him again. But it, what was so interesting about that? So is that our friend is actually like brilliant. And so if you knew her circumstances, you would really understand why it is that her salary is what it is. But the thing is, for this person, he was clearly stereotyping, and his idea is like below a certain threshold, it means your there's a sort of correlation between IQ and salary. I guess if you're here, that means your IQ must be there too. So interesting how kind of stereotypes, and in that respect, that distortion affects people's perceptions. Yeah, totally. And there's a thing that um, you see particularly with people in certain types of high-paying jobs where money stops being about anything other than just keeping the score of their status. Uh-huh. It's like literally life is a competition and money is how we keep the score. Yep. Um, just within certain fields and certain kinds of mentalities. And if you don't think like that, it's inconceivable mm-hmm. um, to think that way. And for the people who do think that way, it's inconceivable to think any other way. So inevitably, that person is going to think, well, anybody who earns less than this is just failing. Yeah. And I mean, I guess what sucks for that guy is it actually hurts him. Because like our friend is going to move on. She'll find and date someone else. But the thing is, this person's like heuristic and the distortion, it's going to keep affecting him. Because I mean, I don't know him, obviously. But what I assume is going to happen is it's going to creep up again. And the next person he dates and he says this, she's going to probably not want to see him again either. Yeah, absolutely. Or or he's going to assume that um, so once you get into that mentality, it's very easy to start assuming that everybody who wants anything to do with you wants to have to do with you because of your money. That's true. And that, again, is quite a toxic way of looking at the world. Yeah. And while there are people who will absolutely glom on to somebody because of the amount of cash they have, I'm not saying that those people don't exist. Yeah. Um, if that's the lens through which you see human relationships, then everything becomes transactional. And the minute everything becomes transactional, you lose connection, you lose intimacy. It's, yeah. That's a real issue, right? Yeah. Uh, do you, go ahead. So, so what's nuts to me is, uh, you've probably heard of this concept, uh, the, the idea of relative wealth versus absolute wealth. Uh-huh. So yeah. what's fascinating is that in terms of absolute wealth, all of us right now, all of us on the podcast and pretty much anyone in our community, especially with the devices we have, like our phones and all this, we're actually, in terms of absolute wealth, way more wealthy than kings back in the day. I mean, you can yeah. argue that, but you could say that we're better off than a lot of the people who were in power back in the day. Right. And... That's interesting because then when you look at how we still judge each other, it's still based on relative wealth. Yeah. Like how much do I have versus how much you have? What is my status relative to yours? Uh, how how can I know how to treat you based on where I am on the hierarchy and where you are and mm-hmm. all that? And that, that's interesting. It's like this thing that's innate in us mm-hmm. that doesn't go away even even with the amount of absolute wealth we we all have now. Well, not all, but you know what I mean, like mm-hmm. mostly. But yeah, yeah, no, well, yeah. Like, it, it, it's, it is a really, um, it's a useful thing to do occasionally from, from that um, point of view of getting some perspective on your life to just take a moment and think in absolute terms, I'm so well off. Um, just Just to have that little moment of gratitude and say, yeah, in absolute terms, it, things are actually fine. You know, yeah. this is all good. I mean, 
or not. <laughs> Some people, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to um, put off anybody who's listening to the show or watching the show who's having a terrible time. I feel for you. Um, it's true. Yeah. But uh, but no, it, you know, it it is an extremely yeah, it's a sobering and helpful thing to do to to think in those absolute terms. And and um, occasionally I will. I haven't done it for a while, but occasionally you there are. Um, little tools online that you can go in and put your income in and then see where you rank in the world. You can see it in your country and you can see it globally. Uh-huh. That's always quite a sobering thing as well to, to look that up. Um, I'm going to try that later. I didn't know that that uh-huh. exists. Yeah. 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 Again, if you want to, if you want to give yourself something to be grateful for, uh-huh. um, that's a, you know, it's a it's a good perspective shift to have that from time to time. And one thing I'm curious about, maybe Leon was even going to ask this too. Mm-hmm. Well, at least here in in America, I noticed that at least to younger children, financial planning is not something that's really taught. Yeah. And I don't I don't know what it's like in the in the UK and Britain. Uh, do is that taught in schools at a younger age or not really? Not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of ongoing campaigning to get more financial education in schools. We have some, um, and we have some really great nonprofit organisations that go into schools um, who do some really fantastic work and and really like smart, innovative um, teaching. And some of the banks occasionally will do some funding and or they'll bring in, you know, some kind of program where they'll go into schools and, and you know, they'll do some of their things. But in terms of it being in the curriculum, I think it's in there without being assessed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what, get me- what gets measured gets managed yeah. because it's the rest of the curriculum is so crowded and it's not something that sort of particularly counts towards the status of the school. Mm-hmm. It tends to be neglected a little bit. It also, uh, we have an issue as well that actually teachers aren't necessarily great with money themselves. Yeah. So because they don't have the confidence, mm. they don't necessarily want to teach because are they sure they're really going to teach the right things? Or do they feel like maybe kind of hypocritical because they're trying to teach something and they look at their own credit card statements and go, mm-hmm. not that great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, plus there's a tendency to just teach it in maths, yeah. whereas actually it's a great subject for teaching in drama, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you can you can play out kind of scenarios of buying something and then getting into debt and then experiencing that, and it makes the whole thing much more vivid yeah. for for young people rather than just like, oh, you know. So and so buys this thing on a credit card, and there's thirty percent interest. How much does it cost at the end of the year? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so I, I think also that what I'm gonna get getting from what you're saying is that the idea is that you can't really separate one's perspectives or interpretations and emotions from their finances. So what's so cool about that is, well, I mean, like, maybe not cool, but whatever. I kind of like the idea. So I mean, what's cool about that is that like even if we're focusing on let's say a teacher and who feels hypocritical for let's say not being you know kind of the perfect, um, I guess the perfect sort of practitioner of whatever she's sort of teaching or preaching i mean the idea is i think and what i why i like your the concept behind your podcast
podcast, The Squander Loss, is that we're sort of taking a much more nuanced interpretation of sort of the human psyche. Is that instead of just saying, again, kind of going back to the initial thing that we were talking about, where it's like it's just this person who's constantly making rational decisions, we're also factoring in the fact that sometimes people struggle with depression. Sometimes people struggle with, let's say, shame, right? Sometimes people struggle with bipolar disorder, etc. And all of these different things, right? These sort of these behaviors and these emotions are always intertwined, or at least not always, but a lot of times they're intertwined with one's financial decisions because you can't really separate the two. So the idea is, I think, like, and again, this is why I love the concept behind your podcast, is that it's not so much or only about the financial aspect of your decisions of sort of showing a person like, yes, this is sort of the step-by-step process, right? As let's say just a person who's just trained in, let's say, finance would do, right? An advisor. They would say, well, this is what you need to do, right? Because the idea is it's like... um, so I want to kind of frame it in the sense of like, so Danny Kahneman, right? So the person who was um, not the originator, but pretty much the one who kind of articulated system one and system two thinking, the way he put it, and I love this kind of phrasing of it, was that he said pretty much when it comes to like sort of the way we kind of try to motivate people is we try to push them, right? So let's say in um, let's say in the respect of financial advising, I'm not a financial advisor, obviously, but I know people, right? So what a person might do in that respect is essentially say something like, well, here's the step-by-step process, right? Why aren't you doing this you need to do this right then the person might come back and they would say well i still haven't done it why haven't you done it you know what i what you need to do i taught you all of these things so danny kahneman would say that we're sort of prone to this type of thinking that if we just push someone into doing something that they're automatically going to just want to do it because here's the rational part of it duh like it's so simple i've just outlined it for you so with, really? right and so with kahneman he would say essentially that we have to kind of figure out what is it that's actually preventing the person from intimate from implementing strategies that they already probably knew by themselves and they don't really need you for like let's say with smokers right smokers know they're gonna get cancer i mean you telling them and saying like hey what are you doing you're gonna get cancer stop they know that right so the idea is it's like we have to focus on what's actually preventing them as well as motivating them it doesn't necessarily have to be one or the other but the, the part of it the second part of it where literally you're focusing what's actually stopping the person from implementing your strategy is really important so like with the smoker the idea is well you know this is a coping mechanism for me so it's not only that i smoke impulsively you know for gratification but I also smoke compulsively because it's a way to reduce stress. So in that respect, the idea is if we're also focusing on the emotions and if let's say even somebody's struggling with mental health and so then the question goes from, okay, how come you're not, or here's the, or do you understand the strategy? And then it goes into like, how come you're not implementing the strategy? Because a lot of people with like depression, obviously they use, um, and this is like a whole other conversation, which is too, too, too in-depth. But like with the welfare system, right? The idea is like, oh, well, why should these people like buy like iPhones or whatever it is, right? You know, with the government money. Well, the idea is because they're depressed. And so for a lot of them, that short-term gratification of spending is really significant for them to even maintain any sort of emotional stability. So in understanding that, it goes from like now we're shaming you and we're telling you stop spending our money on these devices, right? To, oh, now we kind of understand why you're doing this. Can we find healthier ways of you coping with your emotions? right rather than overspending and so that's what i think is like um so again going back to your podcast and why i think it's such a cool idea is that the emotional side is never going to be disconnected from our financial decisions and i just don't think that that's ever possible not ever and and actually like to to flip this a little bit and talk about motivation and and the positive side of things Uh um alex my co-host and i in the third episode we ever did Uh We ran through an exercise on identifying your values mm-hmm. and using those as a motivator to get you managing your money the way that you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you're 
spending and saving is aligned with what you truly value, you are hugely more motivated to actually uh, follow that plan. Um, and that's about saying, well, what need am I meeting when I spend money? Am I meeting that the right way? Um, you know, what do these objects I purchase represent for me? Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, at the beginning of our talk today, we I talked about all the things that money represents for people, security and comfort and companionship and, and all of these other freedom and independence and all these other things. Mm-hmm. And if somebody is compulsively purchasing, particularly if they have one kind of purchase that they buy all the time, the chances are that that purchase represents something to them. Mm-hmm. And if you can work out what does that represent for that person, is there a better way they can get more of that? Yeah. Does you know could they get more of that in their life without spending money on it, or could they, um, you know, are they actually spending in a way that doesn't get them the thing they really want? You know, are they spending in a way that's in line with advertising or kind of social peer pressure or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um but doesn't meet their real values can we kind of almost give them the permission to spend in accordance with their values instead of in in accordance with peer pressure or the the advertising that they see um so i like if you want a place to start for for people who want to maybe come and listen to the show that's it's one of i think the best episodes that we did and and the way it's structured is that people can follow along with the exercise because alex had never done it before it's an exercise i've run a lot of times Uh Um, so you can literally go listen with a pen and paper, pause the show, like write your own answers down mm-hmm. and listen back and join in with us as you, as you go through. And, um, I think it's a, it's a fun exercise and, and Alex has actually changed how she manages money off the back of that one. Hmm. What were her values? <laughs> what were the values? You know what? Um, I wonder what it is that she specific. she said afterwards. So she, um, has focused her spending less on clothes and eating out mm-hmm. and more on um studying so she learns korean mm-hmm. so she's focused her money on um on that learning korean which for her was i guess just about like using her brain and and that educational um engagement and just it's a fun cool different thing to do mm-hmm. alex is kind of a quirky kind of a person so mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know and it meant that she was actually able to go to Korea and have this amazing trip, oh, wow. um, which yeah, like she she probably was like that's the ne- that was the next step for her. So she kind of properly targeted into doing this cool thing that she wanted to do. And then um, the other thing was swing dancing, uh-huh. um, and then then you know that's all about being fit and healthy, but in a really fun way, and it's also very sociable. So you know she chose some things that were you know, education, travel and adventure, um, keeping fit and healthy, but also in a really social and fun kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have to just choose one. Obviously, you can have a few different values, but then it's like, OK, what really represents that? And how can I spend my money in a way that or, or save my money for things that are meaningful to me within that uh, in line with those values? And well, kind of- and that's on episode three. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting yeah. is I was listening to the latest episode, the one about financial okay. set points. Set points, yeah, yeah. So one thing I definitely have to say, what I love about your style is uh-huh. the, it's the structure of how you'll say, okay, everybody get your pen and paper. 
and now we're gonna walk you through this exercise. And it's actually it's a very it's very cool because, um, for instance, maybe sometimes in a in a pod in a podcast like uh, things will come up like little aha moments and like that. But the structure that you have is is very interesting. It feels very. I don't know. How should I put this? To you? Well, the fact that there is a structure is already kind of refreshing. Mm-hmm. In the sense <laughs> it's kind of like being in a classroom. Yeah, mm-hmm. you could say yeah, mm-hmm. and it's comfortable because you're listening wherever. Like for instance, I was uh, I was by my desk here. Actually, I was using the computer, mm-hmm. listening to it, and then I said, "Okay, yeah, let's try this." Like, how much did I make in the last uh, last year, the last five years? And then uh, I have it written down. I'm sorry, but the, <laughs> so I have it. But still, I was going through it. It was very cool. Yeah. 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 So I think this comes from the fact that, you know, my background is as a trainer. I've done a lot of training. And so you said, you know, we always have a structure to the show and we do. And I, I actually script our shows like I do a lesson plan. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's not like a structured script in the terms of every single word we're going to say is written out. Yeah. But it's bulleted the way I would do a lesson plan with kind of rough timings that we want to hit and, um, <laughs> trying to make the the topic flow in a way that will make sense that people will be able to follow. Yeah. Um, I think we've mentioned there probably, I don't know if we had any others where we got people to sit down and write something down. I think that's, we haven't done many exercises like that. So we've kind of talked about the two episodes where we did that. But um, generally that style of having a structure and having kind of points to hit through, um, we're very keen to, not take the show over the 30 minutes mm-hmm. if we can help it um unless say we're doing an interview with somebody really cool or mm-hmm. something of that nature we try and kind of keep it to time mm-hmm. um and that is partly about like having the script really helps us to do that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> our very first episode we ever did um we recorded 45 minutes mm-hmm. and we promised we were going to do 25 mm-hmm. and we like a hatchet to the first (laughs) it was was brutal um yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of dead darlings from that first episode (laughs) and how did you guys come up with the idea for the podcast um so i've been uh i've been doing um training and support for people around managing money and having a healthy relationship with money for a really long time um I was a financial advisor for a couple of years, uh, a fair while ago, um, and then I moved into the nonprofit sector, and I've been doing things like financial education and awareness raising campaigns, and kind of funding different kinds of advice and support for people on low incomes around money. Uh-huh. And in all of that, it became more and more apparent to me that the big issue for people often is just emotional. Like we know what we need to do, and we're not doing it. Uh-huh. And the reason we're not doing it is. We're getting in our own ways. Yes. Uh, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just wanted to have more of a conversation about that. And as you said, so often financial media says willpower, mm-hmm. determination. If you're not doing the right things with your money, it's because you're stupid. Mm-hmm. Or you're failing. You have no willpower. It compounds that sense of shame that people feel. And I just, I just wanted to be, like, just start a better conversation that wasn't that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it possibly could. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there are, the tide's changing a little bit. There's more talk nowadays in the UK, at least, about financial well-being, and there's more discussion of cognitive biases and mm-hmm. 
things are getting a bit better um, and we're getting better without us. Yep. <laughs> I'm take the credit for that. But I really wanted to to put in my take, which comes from, you know, a really, really long time of working in small groups and one-on-one <laughs> with people about how they handle money and, and combining, you know, all the reading I've done on the psychology with just that insight from working with people and, and thinking, how can I convey this in a way that's, fun and bite-sized and interesting but also um also you know alex is she used to be a chartered accountant i used to be a financial advisor Mm -hmm. we are very open on the podcast that we are not perfect with money ourselves Mm -hmm. and again we wanted to break down that shame thing and the anxiety that people have by saying you know it's not that there are all these amazing experts right up here and then you're you know (laughs) You're just rubbish yeah. down here. You're never going to get it. Um, we want to say sometimes the experts are not that great either. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's the same thing with the, with therapy too. So a lot of times people think because I'm a therapist, like I don't ever struggle with like negative emotions or like severe negative emotions. <laughs> and it was funny because I remember um, I don't remember the name of the podcast, and it's it sucks because I bring this up so often I still don't remember the name of the podcast but when Danny Kahneman was on somebody's podcast they asked him the person was like oh so like now that you know you're you're pretty much a master of these cognitive biases like how often do you engage in them and he says all the time all the time he's like that's just that's how it is (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. our brains overrule us all the time and again because it we don't want to leave people with nothing. So we do try on the show to give people the, the tips for how yeah. to try and get past some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And even I've said on the show, I think that for me, it's actually doing the show as a commitment mechanism. Mm-hmm. Like I can't in good faith sit down and try and teach this stuff mm-hmm. and not be trying to put it in practice myself. Yep. So it's been really great for my finances, in spite of the fact that I've yet to get paid a penny for it. Um, right. And so it's, so the distinction I think there is, um, so with uh, when we think about it, it's like black and white sometimes, where we think it's either, well, if you're Danny Kahneman and you can't overcome it, therefore it seems like it's just deterministic and it's pointless, or, you know, it's again, pure free will that you have to be like, you know, the sort of the foremost expert on it. But the idea is like even just the nuance there with what he was saying, I just, and I think it's important for it not to be misinterpreted. It's not that Danny Kahneman was saying that I just engage in these cognitive biases and that's it. What he's saying is I engage in them all the time. However, I constantly use the mechanisms to challenge them and to reinterpret whatever conclusion I make. So that's what's important. He's just saying that naturally, those intuitions never just go away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It even I like to think of it as like small cumulative change. If you can dial down those things just by a percentage, yeah. um, you know, that's always going to help. Um, if you can like just just shave away at them. Um, and, you know, it's the old Alcoholics Anonymous thing of one day at a time, right, yeah. as well. If you can just, like, I'm just going to be better at this today or I've not been great at doing this stuff today, but, you know, I'm going to take this one little step that will improve things. Mm-hmm. I've made, you know, I've made an error so far, but I, I'm going to stop now so it doesn't get worse and that's still worth doing. Even 1% change or 0.1% change is still, it's a massive change, especially, especially if that change is undertaken every single day, what happens in a year? What does that build up to? Mm -hmm. What, yeah, when you compare that last year to this new one, 
while undergoing this change work, mm -hmm. you'd see a massive difference. Maybe not day to day, yeah. but then after a long time, you do. Yeah. And by the way, also, <laughs> we I gotta say this, we uh, definitely can relate to the, the idea of when every time we do our show too, we're not experts, but what's fascinating is it does kind of put this pressure on us, but not like <laughs> a bad pressure, like a good kind of pressure yeah. to also kind of live by what it is that we discuss and it, it's very fascinating what it does to your own psychology being a podcaster too mm -hmm. um it definitely impacts some people which is fantastic and that's the main point but it, it is fascinating to see what it does to the actual uh creator in this case mm -hmm. that's just like an aside comment but it's but it's interesting yeah, yeah. all right oh. it's yeah, go that, that's kind of like the Ulysses contract in a way. So it's like we we kind of like created this podcast, uh, maybe indirectly, like to motivate ourselves to become better people. <laughs> maybe that'd be you interesting. You know what? Yeah, if it works, mm -hmm. if it works, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. So Alex and I, you know, we started recording in part because I was sort of talking. I was saying, you know. I'd uh, I'd come to the end of a contracted job, so I was freelancing, and I was saying, well, you know, I'm I want to make more out of this thing. If I'm going to be freelancing, I want to do do more of this, and I'm not quite sure what to do. And I want to maybe do a podcast, maybe do this, maybe do that. And she said, this is such a cool topic, and I have loads of opinions about it as well. Mm -hmm. um, and when we realised that, so I have this tendency to splurge and overspend. She has a tendency to actually be overly restrictive with herself and not have fun mm. um and like be very terrified of of spending anything mm -hmm. to the point where she can make herself miserable and actually that was where the values thing really helped her was that she by rejigging her budget by um working out how she could uh spend in accordance with her values and put that into a plan she was much more able to use her money in a way that was enjoyable as well without having the fear and the guilt so much so it took away a lot of anxiety for her which is just fantastic like she's one of my dearest friends so it's been really really fantastic for me to see her go yeah. through that change and and have that um but yeah it was it it's it was really cool for us to kind of start talking together and find that oh we have these compatible opposite points of view and that's going to make the conversation much more interesting than it would ever have been if it was just me talking into a mic yeah yeah and, and so to wrap up i mean what would you want yeah. people to know about like let's say emotions and financial decisions what do you think is most important um forgive yourself <coughs> show yourself some compassion we are all pretty flawed around this stuff yep. that is not an excuse not to try Okay, and it, especially if you've had some light bulb moments over the course of this show today, like insight without action is just noise. Yes. Mm. <laughs> okay, mm -hmm. so go out, it's like, forgive yourself for what's happened. Um, show yourself some compassion as things go forward. Do try and take some action uh, because that is necessary. Um, and um, yeah, just try and be good enough at money. Don't 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 like set out for perfection, uh -huh. particularly not right at the beginning. Incremental change, um, and just try and be good enough at money, and that will actually bring you a lot of benefit. I love that, Alan. Final questions. 
Oh uh, yes, if um, if we wanted to follow you on social media, uh, yeah. how ca how can we find you? How can we find us? Okay, so I am at Martha Lawton, and that's Lawton spelled L-A-W-T-O-N, on Twitter. Uh, we are at Squanderlust Pod on um, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, those would be the main ways that you could find us. And then our website is squanderlustpod.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Martha. This was incredibly yeah. informative. It's been really fun. Thank you so this much. This is really great. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Okay, good to see you guys. Take Super. care. Bye. Bye. All right. right, that was awesome. That was a good. That show. was very cool. Like every week, man, we have such great guests. <laughs> well, guys, I'm gonna say, if you want to follow us, you can follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and at Seize underscore Podcast on Twitter. You could on hit YouTube, the bell, like, subscribe, <laughs> hit the bell, please. Thank you. And, <laughs> and then also, you guys can find us at the O4L Online Network. That's right. And see you guys next time for episode forty. We're gonna have. Dr. Sky Clarion. Look forward to that. Take care, guys.